Blog Talk Radio. Damn podcast. We back. Uh, <laughs> I think I think I could be wrong, but I think we were slightly missed. Just a little. By somebody, some crazy person out there that actually likes us might have missed us, maybe. That's my mama. My mom created a Twitter account just to beef us up. Now shout out to everybody that got on our asses for not getting back. Been an interesting yeah. two weeks. Your boy three K out in Mexico, your boy Myson. I think he was stalking me Got in Mexico. It. I think he was lying. I think he was Yeah, lying. I'm out as well. I was right there at the border. <laughs> I was Hashtag Cabo money. Myself. <laughs> yeah, then uh, drop what you're doing and go to Cabo. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we we took some vacations, guys. Uh, kind of spared a moment for myself. Joe's was a little more planned because he's the organized one. Go figure, right? But <laughs> we back. And ready to roll, man. We got a lot of stuff. To, we got a lot of stuff to cover. It's been an interesting two weeks for the Rams, that's for sure. No, no question about it. How have you? How do you? How do you feel knowing that we are officially talking about division champs? Let that set in for a second, right? It's weird. We're talking <laughs> it's about long fourteen time. years. Is it a long, <laughs> long, 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 long time? And we're done, we're not talking about like a. A dominant playoff run. We're just talking about having a chance, a winning record. It's been a long, long, long time. It's, it's been, been unusual. It's been a it's very been, long time. And I get it. There, it's been an incredibly long time. I get it. There, people, you know, acting like, oh, especially you know, newer fans that have only picked back up on the Rams last year. Like, hey, it's only been two years. Okay, great. So people have been paying attention for a long, long, <laughs> long time. This ain't normal. The Rams had one of the worst streaks in professional sports. Without yes. any kind of postseason activity, um, yes. And so I, I think the the just the, the main thing about it is the abnormalcy, the fact that we went into December and we weren't already looking to the draft and figuring out how we were going to get through this season. You know, you had Sean McVay give his presser uh, not too long ago and talk about his Week 17 plans are kind of secondary because we got playoffs coming up and it's just uh it's different and it's a good different, but it sure as hell is. Different. You know, let this let this soak in really quick before we get going to here. The Rams, normally this time of year for the Rams, I've already dropped a mock draft, a big board, <laughs> and I'm yeah. working on my second big board, which my first big board is usually yeah. just 50 players. By this time, I'm usually dropping my top 100. Now, I had already – I planned on dropping my top 50, but – we took our we both went on vacation and everything like that. So the top fifty is actually going to be coming next week. But it's interesting the the fact that there's no rush to it this year, considering the fact that it's not even a focus. Like let that soak in for a second. Like that that hit me the other day. I was just like, geez. Normally I'm well into the off season. I'm deep into the scouting right now. 
I'm not used to not I'm not used to being behind on my scouting in December, <laughs> but that is the case. But um, last week, you know, we had a really interesting week last week. Um, the Rams absolutely stumped the Seahawks. That's the only way to put it. And what was so interesting about it is, yes, the Seahawks are really banged up, but you still just you don't see that happening because that team is so good. And one of the things that makes them so good and have been so good over the past five years is their depth. So even though, you know, they're missing all pro players all over the place, they still have good players behind those guys, and they're still a really good coach team. And you are still playing in Seattle, the 12th man, which is not easy to play at. You can't hear anything, you know. But the Rams went up there and did something that has not been done ever, (laughs) and that's absolutely throttled them on their field. Um, I think after losing to the Eagles as well as losing to the Vikings, you know, in a three-week span, uh, to go to Seattle, you know, yes, the Rams have a home playoff game coming by winning the division, but let's say they win that one. To go to Seattle, I think that instilled confidence in people uh, and all the talking heads and everything that the Rams can go into the playoffs go to a tough environment, and they can win a game. And uh, because and it's not just because they won in Seattle, but it's because of how they won in Seattle. You know, um, that, I think, put the idea in people's head that, okay, just when we started to think the Rams were good but not quite that good, they went and showed us, like, they are that good. And that is the difference between this Rams team and any Rams team we've seen before is – Losing one game doesn't really define how they're going to play in the next one. You know they haven't lost back-to-back games yet this year, and they they seem to they seem to enjoy being able to bounce back, which is really really interesting to me. What do you think about that? I th- I, th- there were two quotes that I thought summed it up. One came out from Pete Carroll. The other one came out from a Rams player via text message to Mike Freeman, formerly of CBS Sports, now Bleacher Report. Pete Carroll said, and I'm quoting this as his quote, we've not seen us play like that and seen that kind of result. We didn't do that right from any aspect of it. And I think it takes two to tango. The Rams played a good game, but Seattle played really poorly at home in a game they might have needed to win ultimately to make the playoffs. And so for that to happen in Seattle, it's rare, but it's it's also, what's the right word, The, the level, the scope of it of the extremity of it. It wasn't just that they stayed bad, badly and they lost. They got whooped. We beat them to yeah. hell down in their place in all facets of the game. And I, I think there's, there's no way to get around how complete that victory was and how dominant it was and what that means to the team. The other was the Rams players' text to Mike Freeman, which was, quote, I was stunned at how easy it was to push them around. It was like playing the Browns. I, and when you're saying that – about any team, obviously, you know something's wrong. But, but when yeah. you're saying it about the Seattle Seahawks, who have been the class of this division for so long, it, it plays into the narrative that we've thrown out there all year, which is that there's a, there's a changing of the guard in terms of the NFL. We've got a bit of it this year. It looks like they're going to have eight out of 12 new playoff teams. You've got Seattle, yeah. you know, dropping off. You've got the Jacksonville Jaguars picking up. The Denver Broncos have stepped down. Philadelphia's got the number one seed. It feels like we're, t- we're turning into a new era for the NFL, and we've mentioned it all ser- season, and I don't know that any game really encapsulated that for the Rams and for the NFC West more than Week 15 did when we went up to Seattle and gave them a beat. 
and the most interesting thing about it, you hit the nail on the head, is that you're seeing this turn in the in, in the NFL where you know there's a new wave. You know, eight out of twelve teams. You look at the Pro Bowl rosters, right? There was, I think, four teams that had five players go, or you know, have at least five players go, and that right there goes to show you the just the parity, the parity that's kind of uh, created that's been created in the NFL in recent years. Now you're looking at the uh, the Rams, and they're one of those four teams, which is crazy to think about because it's been so long since the Rams have had that many players in the uh, Pro Bowl. Uh, but speaking of the Pro Bowl rosters, you, you, you know, let this sink in for a sec. The Rams are going to, you know, they lose Greg Zerline for the year, which is huge. That is absolutely huge. I don't, I don't think that uh, people really – acknowledged how big it was. I don't think it was it made big enough news because the first off, Greg was on his way to not just breaking the uh the the most field goals in a season record, but he was on his way to breaking the most points ever scored in a Scoring. season record. Yeah. You know, um he fell four field goals shy of the NFL record for most field goals ever made. Um which is time that's a lot of field goals. He you know, he's forty four is the goal or to to break that record and he was four away. And this is someone who was averaging about three or four field goals a game. Um, so that 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 was a huge blow. You know, that's not something that you bounce back from very easily. And we saw that. You know, we saw that with uh, Sam Fickle, and it was just not a um, – it was not a good debut for him at all. So you lose him, who was also a pro bowler. You have basically all of the Rams special teams as <laughs> pro bowlers with him. Um, you have uh, Farrell Cooper, and you have Johnny Hecker. And then, of course, you have uh, Todd Gurley, who made it. You have Aaron Donald. But then you also have Tremaine Johnson, who is the first alternative at cornerback. You know, for whatever reason, I don't know why it is, but for whatever reason, cornerbacks always seem to miss the Pro Bowl. So there's a pretty good chance that uh, if that he will get the call. Now, remember, we don't really want him to get the call because that would mean that he's not going to the Super Bowl. If he's not going, the Rams aren't going. But uh, he is the first alternative. But here's another one, Joe. Here's another first alternative. Jared Goff will be in the Pro Bowl if the Rams are not in the Super Bowl because Carson Wentz will not be there. And the first alternative is Jared Goff. What does that say to you? (laughs) Like, you want to talk about the changing of the guard. Jared Goff is headed to the Pro Bowl. That's After the, the seven games that he put in last year, right? I, th- I think that's right. That that tells you that more than anything, I think that's just a 2017 versus 2016 nugget, right? That yeah. the Rams got things right. We, we did a uh, roundtable to get ready for the playoff preview for SB Nation today. I had to fill out, I think, ten questions or so, and one of them was, if what, how will people? frame your team season and I think ultimately the framing for the Rams in 2017 is the Rams hired a great offensive mind in Sean McVay they made some key personnel changes and it fixed pretty much everything immediately I I just don't there's no way to get I mean I know you talked about the idea that historically it's always worked when you've surrounded young quarterbacks with a ton of new functional talent yeah, but the Rams had a chance to do that with Sam Bradford and they didn't right I mean it's it's the you know our man big Sosa's you know, overstatement. It's so easy. Just go do, Just go get a franchise quarterback and go get an all-pro left tackle and go get three wide receivers in the offseason. If you can do it, it's great. But the, there's, a, there's a level of a challenge to that that most teams can't get over, and the Rams haven't gotten over for more than a decade. 
and they did all of it this year. And I think the scope of that achievement is really, really hard to overstate, and that's why you took a quarterback like Jared Goff, who had as bad of a rookie season as he did, and turned him into a Pro Bowl alternate in a season's time. Yeah, that is the accomplishment alone has guaranteed uh, Sean McVay Coach of the Year. You know, that's that's a hell it's of him. a feat to, to pull off. You know, he, yeah, that's impressive. You know, that's that's really impressive. And I think he, more than anything this year, you know, you heard all the talk of how uh, much of an offensive mind he was and how he was a football genius. But more than anything, I think he cemented that his name uh, up there with the Andy Reeds of the world, you know, all those guys who have been looked at as quarterback gurus, I think he has cemented his name up there. You know, he got a lot of credit for helping Jay Gruden with uh, Kirk Cousins, but he didn't get the full credit, but he got a lot of love for it. I think he cemented his name up there with those quarterback gurus, and, and uh, that, I think I think that alone is going to get him the, the – um, Coach of the year. Now, me first. Let me just be the first one to really quickly throw this out there. I want to be the first one to say I am glad that he listened to everyone <laughs> when I was complaining because I've been complaining about it for like six, seven weeks now of him getting away from the run too much and not using girly sure. enough, uh, keep letting them eat. Um, but over the past few weeks, the, the media really got into it and you know, he went up there, and I know you said it on our last show that we recorded, like he, he owned up to it, and he said he was going to do better. And you know what he has, and Gurley has gone out the last two weeks, and <laughs> I'm really interested to see how this how this season ends for him. Um, and speaking of such, I also have to be the first one to apologize to Todd Gurley because to begin the season, <laughs> uh, the first the first two games, after watching the first two games, my exact words was, I'm still seeing him run the way that he's been running. He's running nervous. He's running scared. He's running tiptoeing. He's not using his vision. He still isn't showing that breakaway speed that he had. You know, all of these things I said. And I said, you know, at this rate, after the season, if he continues at this pace, do we look for a new running back? Well, I don't know if someone let him hear that quote or what, because around that time (laughs) he started to turn it on. And uh, each game it got better and better. And – by mid-season, I started to see something from Gurley I had never seen before, and that was a guy who ran with vision and ran with patience. The burst he started to show was burst I hadn't seen since the Clemson game his senior year, or not his not say senior year, but his last year, his junior year, his last year at Georgia. I hadn't seen that type of burst since then where you've seen him have, I think, 220 yards or something like that rushing and like three touchdowns. That's the way he started running with a, with a gear that I hadn't seen in about three years. Um, this is a Todd Gurley that is worthy of a top ten pick, and not only that, he's worthy of all the hype he's getting of MVP. Will Todd yeah. Gurley be the MVP this year? Uh, the answer is probably not, just because of the celebrity of Tom Brady. If it was up against anybody else, I'd say probably, because on the merits, I mean, given the season that he's had, he deserves it. But when you go up against Tom Brady, you're not just going up against the stats. You're going up against, you know, the cult of personality. And you're going up against, you know, a caricature that looms larger than stats and performance and that kind of thing. Um, so if I had to guess, my answer is no. But, uh, you know, what's, what's important to me is wh- when we talked about him in those early episodes, you were talking about Todd Gurley, not, you know, w- what you said, that 
uh, he wasn't doing enough. My my issue was with people who were trying to justify, like against Washington, he had 88 yards and one touchdown, and people saying, "See, yeah. that's good enough." And I was no. and I kept saying, "No, no, no, that's this is Todd Gurley. He's got to give us more." And he, you know, San Francisco. I think he had what a one yard touchdown and a three. He had two punch in touchdowns, right? And people yeah. say, "Look, he had two touchdowns." No. That's not what makes Todd Gurley good. Yeah. And this last month and a half, you've seen what makes Todd Gurley special. It's not yes. punching one-yard <laughs> touchdowns, and it's not 60, 70 yards. Todd Gurley's good enough to give you these kind of games. Now, you're not going to get this every game. You're not going to get this every game when you're playing Jacksonville and Minnesota and, you know, Seattle, when you're playing those caliber defenses. But two weeks ago against Seattle – he put up 152 yards rushing with three touchdowns. Last week against Tennessee to win the NFC West, he put 118 on the ground with 158 as a receiving threat. He, he, had, he, he dominated yeah. that game. Individually, he dominated that game. That's why that stuff at the beginning of the season wasn't good enough. Not because not we're criticizing Todd Gurley, but because late because season Todd Gurley more. knows that early season Todd Gurley had to do more. That's exactly right. Yeah. Ty Gurley knows that early season Ty Gurley couldn't hold a, hold a flame to him. Ty Gurley, I think it was nope. still in his head of last year. It was still in his head. Maybe. And one thing that I Maybe. one thing that I noticed, and re- this is why I say that one thing I noticed is the confidence. His confidence, yes. his swag is next level right now. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that at the beginning of the year, and it sure as hell wasn't like that last year. And the one thing I compared no. it to, and I keep comparing it to, is his first game as a starter against the Cardinals, his rookie season. I remember watching that game, and I kept telling everyone, you know, I was I was reviewing the tape of that game, and I had my friend watch it with me, and I was telling him, look at how, he, how hype he is after each run. You could see the passion. You could see how excited he was to be back. He'd get up, he's clapping, he's yelling, he's screaming. You didn't see that mm-hmm. once last year. You know, that excitement, yeah. that, that just that burst of energy, you know, it's – He's having fun. It's because he had been in when he was scared, like after tearing his ACL, he's scared he doesn't know how he's going to come back. So to be out there, it, he was excited, you know, and you saw it, and he ran like it. Even though he didn't run with the vision he's running with now, it's like he's overnight midseason, not even midseason, after about four games, a quarter of the way through the season, he matured as a runner. And all of a sudden you start seeing this patience and this vision and things like that, setting up blocks. The things that I pointed out to the most over the past two years, he started doing. But then he also added in that excitement, that swag, that confidence, and he was suddenly a completely different player. You know, you, against the Seahawks, he has four touchdowns. You know, he has 170 total yards from scrimmage. This time he has 267 yards. He just upped it 100 nice. yards. But that's so good. You know, he had 100 yards receiving, 100 yards rushing, and he had another two touchdowns. Six touchdowns over the past two weeks. That's insane. You know, you, you don't get it's that crazy. every day. You know, over 400 yards over the last two weeks. You know, so it, it, it is with, it's impressive. Um, you look at the Titans, the, the Rams absolutely – uh, controlled the second half of that game, but they did so because of Todd Gurley. That 80-yard screen, I was watching it, and you know, I, all the all the people out there who love Todd Gurley, they would have got a kick out of my reaction because I didn't scream, I didn't yell or anything like that. I just had a slight smirk come over my face because <laughs> I just watched, and I was just like, that is a back that has arrived. When you see him kicking into that next gear, uh, when he catches that screen and he weaves back to the hash, 
and he really turns it on, and you see him pull away from everyone, and the ESPN pulled up the, the next-gen stats, and they put the, the speedometer up there, and he ran 23, yeah. 21.93 miles per hour or something like that, the second-fastest recorded time in the league this year behind Tyreek Hill, who is a straight-up blazer. Yep. You're like, Ty Gurley is officially running faster than he ever has in his life. And it's not just the fact that he's running faster. It's how he was able to by setting up that lane with a cutback, set up his block, and then hit it full speed. You hadn't seen that. Ty Gurley has arrived. I was personally pleased. And speaking of the Titans, what did you think of that game? You know, it was it was an ugly game. It was a, especially yeah. the first half was really really sloppy. Where you know, I mean, it is what it is, man. You mentioned Greg Zerline. You lose the the top scorer in the league, a, a true and you weapon. have to go higher. <laughs> Yeah, a phenomenal weapon, and you have to replace him with somebody that was unemployed seven days ago. So, you know, th- there's no, there's just no good way to game plan for that. And I said it when the game started. We I threw something out about the idea that okay, you're kicking a 45 year or it's fourth and eight, and it's going to be a 45 year old field goal. Do you even do you even kick it? And I, I said that before the game because. I, I, we all knew it was coming. It, it wasn't going to be that exact situation, but we all knew the Rams were going to be in a situation where they had to decide how much trust do you want to give. Forget the Sam Ficken. It, it's a high, put in place any hypothetical guy that was unemployed in week 15 and is suddenly the starting kicker for a NFC playoff team a couple days later. There's no good yeah. way for that to turn out, right? It just doesn't happen. It, it if, if the guy was good enough to kick those field goals, he wouldn't have been unemployed in week 15, right? And right. so, you know, immediately you get that situation where you get the fourth down. I think it would have been a 49-yarder, and you you just don't want that to be his first attempt. You want to give him a 25-yarder to get his confidence, to, to keep him, you know, stabilized mentally so that when you get to some tougher situations, he's got some confidence built up. Instead, because of that situation, you immediately let him know, yeah, dude, we, don't, we can't trust you with this. The better option is to do what? Take a delay a game and then throw a fake punt bomb. Like, obviously, that's not going to help him, but it's a lose-lose situation. It just is what it is. And so I think things kind of, you know, the avalanche effect where that started to stumble down and uh, didn't have a great game plan, you know, especially on, on offense where you had that fumble. That didn't – and some of the play calling just didn't make sense. But ultimately, it was about Todd Gurley and the defense. It was a Todd Gurley defensive combo where he did enough individually over the course of the game. And then when you got late in the fourth quarter, the defense shut the Titans down a couple times in a row to really win the game. And I think it just shows the versatility of this team over the course of a season. You've had games where they've won with special teams, where they've won with comprehensive offense, where they've won with you know, spread passing attacks. This wasn't that. This was just a running back and a defense and a Jeff Fisher, uh, you know, formula when he's in attendance. This was, this was Fisher ball. There's an irony there. There's an <laughs> irony there. Fisher it was ball pretty Fisher ball. two Fisher teams. <laughs> yeah. Let that soak yeah. in. <laughs> I don't know how that was in the headline. This was Fisher ball between two Fisher teams. Wow. That's what it was. Uh, this was this was a game dedicated to Jeff Fisher. Without anyone trying to do it, it, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> and one one thing I do want to say, though, about Todd Gurley and the, the idea of him as an MVP and a game like what he had, I think the, the value of it is something, if you saw the quotes from his teammates, they were the ones yes. who kind of made it uh, how obvious how much value he has. Where you've got – it's almost as if 
Todd Gurley doesn't need to run the ball well for Todd Gurley. He needs the, the way you talked about him gaining his confidence and, and and really you know exemplifying his maturity in how he's playing. I think that reverberates throughout the team, and maybe more so than any other team in the league, where it's not coming from the quarterback. It's not coming from Jared Goff on this team. When, when the passing attack is killing it everybody's looking at Sean McVay and they're looking at play designs. And because it's going to so many other targets, it's not Robert Woods or Sammy Watkins. And it's not even Cooper cup in a game where he makes a huge third down drop and he comes back to get the game winning touchdown. Nobody's really talking about Cooper cup because the, the, the passing offense has been so diverse and so spread out. It's kind of up to Sean McVay to organize that for everybody. The one guy that it really falls on to pick up to pick up his individual performance is Todd Gurley, and he did that in the biggest way he has in his career when the stage was set for them to earn the NFC West crown, and I think that says something about who he's turned into as a player. You know, I have to say, um, in all of his time, in the NFL, he hasn't looked as good, and that's Le'Veon Bell. He's never looked as he good really as Todd Gurley does right now. You know, he hasn't looked as good as Todd Gurley has right now. Ezekiel Elliott, you know, he's only been in the league for two years, but he hasn't really looked as good. as. And I think it's because of how complete Todd Gurley is playing, the things he's doing. Like, the missed tackles, one thing that I'm, uh, I harp on a lot with Todd Gurley is he doesn't have wiggle, and he still doesn't have wiggle, so don't get me wrong, but – he's making people miss in the open field without running them over. He's, and whatever he does, it just works for him. You know, whether it's a slight sidestep or, you know, his jump cut has gotten so much better. I've noticed he's leaner. He's much more chiseled. You know, he's, he's gotten leaner. He's more chiseled. You know, he has abs now. Uh, like, he's, he's molded his body, and he's got enough quickness now to where he can do certain things he couldn't do before. Um, Todd Gurley is, in my opinion – from the the last eight weeks has unequivocally been the best running back in the NFL. And what's interesting about that is, you know, they, they mentioned with the last running back to win MVP. And this is why I say, I think that Sean McVay might play Gurley. Everyone's saying he should sit him because they got the playoffs locked up. But I think they might play him because I think they want him to get this. Uh, Sean McVay was one of the first people to start talking about the MVP and you heard Jerry Goff talking about it. You hear everyone talking about it. And Peter Schrager might be his biggest MVP supporter, and he really started to got the train running for uh, the media and talking heads and TV and radio and all this stuff. It, he started all that as on that end. And then, of course, Sean McVay started it, you know, in the press conferences, and the players backed it up. And I think they want him to win it. Um, and I think they're going to give him probably a half to do so. And if he can kill it in one half against the 49ers, I think he will lock it up. And here's why I say that. He is only about 130 or 40 yards, I forget exactly what it was, away from the total yardage that Adrian Peterson had in uh, his MVP campaign in 2012 where he ran for 2,000 yards. Okay, the total yards for scrimmage, Tiger Lee is only about 120, 100, let's just say 150, because I can't remember the exact number. I'll pull it up before the show's over. He's about 150 yards away from that total. Okay, total yards, just total yards. Over the last couple of weeks, you know, you go back the last – three or four weeks now, Todd Gurley is averaging about 150 yards from scrimmage. Uh, here's the difference. Todd Gurley's team record is much better, points per game is much better, and the total touchdowns is far superior. He, he has as many rushing touchdowns as Adrian Peterson had total for the year, okay? 
Adrian Peterson had 13 total touchdowns that year. He had over 2,000 yards, but only 13 touchdowns. Ty Gurley is likely going to have 20 if he plays at all this game. So when you think about those things, I, I can't – I've said it before. I said it back in, like, week six when, the, you know, when we were talking about how many total touchdowns he had. And he was, at the time, he was on pace for, like, 26 touchdowns. I've said it before. I can't think of one running back that's ever had 20 touchdowns and did not win MVP. So I think that I think his chances are probably at this point better than they was three weeks ago, and you know four touchdowns <laughs> can do that for you. But I would not be shocked if Ty Gurley does ultimately win the MVP. Now speaking of the 49ers, they look like a different team. Uh, <laughs> they're playing really oh, good yeah. all of a sudden. I think Jimmy uh, Jimmy GQ, as they call him now, it's amazing how you play one or two good games. And all of a sudden you get a, a nickname, but they're calling him Jimmy GQ now. But Jimmy Garoppolo, he he's playing pretty good football for him, and I think he's kind of lit a spark under that team. You know, having some stability at the quarterback position, suddenly they look inspired. Suddenly they're playing better. It looks like Kyle Shanahan's opening up the playbook a little more. They they and they already you know already play the Rams tough. The Rams play them tough. This division plays each other tough. There's rival there's rivalries scattered throughout. You know, so you know that this is going to be an interesting game. You saw the way the game was when they had Brian Hoyer there when the Rams played them in Week Three, I think it was. So it's nothing new, you know. But now you have stability under at the center who's playing who's playing well. You, the running game is trying to get going in. The defense is cranking it up. This looks like a 49er team that can really step in and, you know, give the Ram, beat the Rams up before they go into the playoffs. Is there anything that you're looking forward to in this game? No, I mean, the number one thing is to see how McVay and the rest of the team talks about this game throughout the week. It's You want to win it because it's a division rivalry. You want to win it because – it keeps that momentum going into the postseason. You, you mentioned Gurley. I think Jared Goff has the opportunity to, to to put up some numbers that would, you know, put that kind of get him over the hump in terms of some of those markers quantitatively that you'd like yeah. to be able to let him do. He's at he, so he's at three thousand eight hundred four yards. yards. From, yeah, two, you know what I'm saying. Yards away it's from doable. 4, and two touchdowns away from thirty. So that's you know those are those kind of markers that you might want to let him. Go for it if if you feel comfortable that they're in the right position to not deal with you know a ton of pressure or a ton of physical yeah. play or whatever it is that you think hey these guys have been healthy all year if they can go out and get that that may be worth it in week seventeen and ultimately you want to go win it because you're playing football games the same reason they wanted to week win week seventeen every year for the last fourteen years when they weren't getting ready for the playoffs I, w- I will throw this out there here's a I posted the transcript on the, the site not too long ago. Here's what he said. Um, blah, 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 blah. I, I think it will provide an opportunity for us to potentially get some guys healthier, rest them, get some other guys a chance to step up. How that affects the guys that are healthy that we want to be smart with is going to be determined as the week progresses. But it is one of those deals where I think you might see us rest some guys and use this week where you don't ever th- t- take anything for granted but knowing that you do have a home playoff game, regardless of how things play out, this might provide an opportunity for us to get some guys healthy. And so that's the thing, you know, you, you know, at worst, you got a four seed, you got a home game to start the wild card. You can't get the two seed, um, you know, and, and that kind of a luxury is something that maybe allows you to rest a bunch of those other guys. If nothing else, you're looking at the guys that rest every Wednesday at practice, Connor Barwin, John Sullivan, Andrew Whitworth, 
and maybe coming out of the week, you know, Roger Saffold, Mark Barron missing the game. Maybe those are the guys that you start with and say, okay, all of those guys sit. And then where do we go with some of these other guys? We'll figure it out. But because he even mentioned it depend, it's going to be determined as the week progresses. Those are his words. I think that's the number one thing that I look at. The, the number two thing is, and this is one of those shitty situations that you got to find yourself in as a as an NFL fan sometimes. Uh, the other thing that came out of his media remarks today were that Sam Ficken is seemingly going to be the, the kicker for this team in week 17. I figured they would go back and hold some open tryouts and fig- after he missed that field goal, yeah. missed the extra point. Yeah, I thought maybe they'd go back and see. Okay, let's reevaluate, see what we got. He's coming back, and so if that's the guy kicking, maybe you want to let him try that forty-nine yard. There's nothing to lose, right? So this this is yeah. almost like a scrimmage where where you can let him get what what happens if he misses it. He you could fire him next week. Uh, you know, you could keep him around, but it's one of those things where maybe you want to let him get a shot at some longer field goals and see if. He takes that opportunity in, in essentially a, a late-season, preseason type situation to see what you get out of it. Overall, though, I, this isn't the game to really evaluate, guys. We've had those games. This is a tune-up for the playoffs, and, and exactly. it's almost like the preseason where you, you got to treat it a little differently, and, and I think that's more important than anything, especially when we figure out who's not even going to be on the field. I'm glad you said it because you hit the nail right on the head. It's a tune-up for the playoffs. Um, one thing that's always – you know, scared me, you know, just kind of stuck out in the back of my mind is when teams rest guys before the playoffs, how it can throw off rhythm, you know, how, you know, Todd, Todd Gurley talked about it already this season, how he hated his Bible. He felt like he was really starting to get going. And then he, it threw him off. This was his words. No one provoked him to say this or they asked him, how was his bye week? He's like, eh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, he he's like, I didn't really like it because it kind of threw me off my game and my routine and stuff. I felt like I got lazy, you know, and he, he was like, I just, I, I felt real sluggish to, you know, coming in. And then after the game, they brought it up. They said, how'd you feel? He's like, I still feel sluggish, but I got it going. You know, you don't really want to feel sluggish in the playoffs at all. You don't want to ever feel like you're behind because then you're, you know, you start feeling like you got to play catch up and you're, you're going against the best of the best in the playoffs. These teams earn their right to be there. So I've never been crazy about sitting players unless it's just ridiculous. You know, like you, you, if you're out there, you're playing and you're blowing, blowing the team out and it's the first half, you know, if it's you go into halftime, you're up 24 to 10, I'm probably pulling my starters for the second half at that point. You know, you've done enough. You know, but I do think that it does make sense to play them. Then also the other part of the factor that I would think about is this isn't any old game. You know, you're not going out there to play the Packers. You're playing the 49ers. This is one of the longest rivalries in sports, (laughs) okay? They've been going at it for a long time. And this record is ridiculously close. I think it's like 65 to like 63 in two or three ties. It's, this is this is really 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 a long standing rivalry, and this game means a lot to both sides. The players always bring it in this game for a reason. So I think it'd be hard just to even convince the players to sit out. So I think there's a lot of things that play into this, especially when you look at the way that the 49ers are playing. I think it's hard to look at that team if you're a Rams player and say, oh they they're thinking they can beat us now. You know like. No, this is our time. You know, I think it's hard as a Rams player to look at that and not have that thought go through your head. Um, one thing's for sure, 
after Sunday, one team will be going to the playoffs and the other team will be getting ready for the draft. <laughs> so, so the, uh, the speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of well, which, the, the one dynamic I'd throw out there, and because I think momentum is going to be a big deal, and you talked about the, I mean, the fact that, like you said, we're headed to the playoffs, they're not. When you right. look at the potential opponents that we've got, there's only three. It's Carolina, Atlanta, and Seattle, right? Right. And so what what I think is going to be, what I think is going to be maybe the most interesting out of all is all three of those teams are essentially playing for the lives. Carolina's playing Atlanta, and Seattle's playing Arizona, and so all all of them are going into Week 17 hitting their you know motivation high. So they're, they're going to yeah. hit that and go straight into the playoffs. We've got this completely other dynamic where it's a, it's a luxury that you kind of want to have, but the downside is that there's a good chance that the Rams turn it off, right, in, in one way or another where things just get turned off. And maybe it's not even a uh, – what's the right word? A conscious or a willful thing, but it might be just one of those things where the offense in the second quarter, when you don't have Andrew Whitworth at left tackle, they look at it and they say, nah, man, not today. Let's go into it, but let, let's not go into it all the way on this play or for the, whatever it is. It might just be the subconscious that takes over. And I think it's one of those things where uh, we'll have to see, we'll have to see what happens in the playoffs and how the, how the Rams look in the first half of a playoff game. I know that's crazy to say, and it's a weird yeah. look. It's a first world. It's an NFL first world problem to have. But it's one of those things where you got to be real careful about how you manage this. And this is the test. This is why I said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Sean McVay, and I wrote it on the site. He's done a hell of a job. You met, you mentioned Andy Reid earlier. Andy Reid doesn't get judged by oh his team does well in the regular season or oh his team no, no. is, is you know the scoring champion. You get yeah. You get think about payment. You get measured by what you do after this. Sean McVay set exactly. an incredibly high bar for his first season, but that bar is about to be determined by what happens next. They had they had some big games that they came up with. Seattle, New Orleans, those games were big challenges. We talked about the pre postseason football. They passed that test, and by passing they it, did. now you get into finals. You come to finals week, and if you if you didn't get your shit right. It doesn't matter what you did all term, all semester. You might fail. And if you fail, nobody's going to care what you did on your first test or your first paper. What's going to matter is what you did in this last examination. And that's what's coming up. And that's, that's the real challenge is they've got to get this last stuff right or everything that came before this will be looked at as a precursor that just doesn't matter as much. The most interesting thing about this is that the Rams are entering the playoffs as one of the most talked about teams, but yet an unknown. Yeah. They're an, anom- they're an yeah. anomaly. What makes them an anomaly, not because they're going into the playoffs for the first time or forever. You already mentioned it. Eight of the 12 teams are different from last year. That's not what makes them an anomaly. What makes them different is the fact that they are one of the most hyped and talked about teams, but no one knows what to expect. And the reason no one knows what to expect is because they lost to the Vikings and they lost to the Eagles, but then they beat yeah. the shit out of the Seahawks and they beat the Saints. You know, so it's like you really don't know what to. But one thing that is for sure, you know, is the Rams' bounce back game is unlike anything you've seen. And there's one quote that came out of the Rams' camp. Anonymous quote, but 
one player said to Peter Schrager, or player coach, whoever it was, someone from their camp said, we hope we see them again. And that's, their, that's yeah. kind of their thought. You know, they, they lose and they're pissed off. They, they, like, I think that played a role in how they beat the Seahawks. They lost that sure. game, those five turnovers. I think it, it did, it turned their stomach. You know, and this is that culture shift that people were talking about with the Rams and Shaman they brought. The, when yeah. they lose now, they are praying to see you again to absolutely kick your ass. Like, it's just that simple. And that's why I say it makes them an anomaly because two of the teams in the playoffs that they could very well see, <laughs> uh, which, honestly, they could very well see both of them throughout the playoffs, beat them. Yeah. And that's the Saints and the Eagles. And the Rams could very well play both teams. And if they do, that would be a very, very interesting scenario to see how they bounce back. Um, But we'll see. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. First things first, the Niners then go to the playoffs and play that first-round game and see how that goes. But, uh, you know, if you lose, you go home, then you get ready for the offseason. Offseason, you got to start scouting college players. Speaking of college, what do we have, Joe? (laughs) We have our – North Texas lost their bowl game, by the way. I'm sorry. Oh, come on, man. Why you <laughs> come on, man. Okay. I'm sorry to break the news mm-hmm. to you, but what you got for us for college, man? Yeah, we didn't play great. But to be fair, Troy beat LSU. That's a, that's a good team over there. The good thing for North Texas is made a quality bowl game from Conference USA. The building of Fred, that is a different situation than the Rams. That is a program that is in development. They need a lot of work. And, you know, the context of college is completely different from the NFL. You've got a, you've got a system of the haves and have-nots in college. In the NFL, there's so much parity in the, the playing field. So even, look, if you're the worst team in the NFL, you get the first draft pick. If you're the worst team in college, you don't get the best recruits. You don't, you don't get to make that team better. You might just stay shitty for the next decade. That's just how it works. Uh, so what, what, what I think is interesting real about quick, bowl season quick, is – Since you mentioned yeah. that real quick, I just want to throw this out there because I thought this was hilarious, but I love it. I really like Josh Rosen's attitude. Best quote of the year He's great. is I would, I would rather fall in the draft into the right team than be picked high and play for the wrong team because the report is out. But, yeah. He wants nothing to do with the Browns. And when he said – that was the report. That. And then he dropped that quote, and I was like, yeah – the report is true. <laughs> I would rather no, fall in the draft that. and play for the right team and then rather than be picked high and play for the wrong one. You got to respect that, man, yep. for saying that. But <laughs> here's the ahead. thing. And I asked uh, Jeff Schwartz, our, uh, one of the former NFL players we got in the SB Nation network, and, and I'm eager to see his response because any sane quality prospect in his position should think that. I think the question is, what do you gain by saying it and saying it publicly? And especially in a conservative environment like the NFL, where, you know, your, your wildest coaches are guys like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. Those are your real, those are your real radical minds are guys who still wear pleated khakis to work on a Sunday. Right. I I don't know. He's Josh Rosen's incredibly correct. And this, he sure as hell is correct for his own damn career that you don't want to be in that kind of position if you can avoid it. He, of course. But what do you gain by saying that, man? And what, what do you gain by what, what do you gain by letting people I think, know? I think what he does is he takes control 
of his future. Maybe. You know, like you like you said, like you said, like only, we've only seen this in recent memory one time with that was with Eli. But like you said, Eli Manning, yeah. you you don't get the you don't get you don't in college football you don't you know lose have a losing season and go out and get the top recruits. But in the NFL, you nope. have a losing season. You go out. I think that he's taking control of his own destiny. You know, like coming out of high school, he wasn't forced to go play for, you know, the worst team in college football. No, that wasn't the case. He got to choose where he wanted to go. I think he's, I think he's a bit of a trailblazer. You know, you listen to the way he talked about athletes getting paid. You listen to the way he – not just getting paid. You listen to the way he he's about honest. athletes. He's very honest, you know, and, and I think that's, that's going to scare the hell out of the NFL because they're not used to their quarterback talking like that. But then also he's good enough to do it, <laughs> you know. So Maybe. that's what makes him a bit of a trailblazer. You know, you you don't see that too often. So I think it'll be interesting. But we shall see how it goes. I'm a fan of his. I like him as a player and as a person. So let's see how it all shakes out. But what do you have for us for games? What should we be looking for? Yeah, there's here? two there's two sides to that that I think is funny. And then we'll get into the games. One is it, it, kind of like I'm saying the pitfall is if you're the guy who's being honest everybody's looking to you to justify it, right? So you've got to yes. be the one who, if you're saying that what he was saying about not going to class and all this other kind of stuff, you've got to be the one who's always on it. Because all it takes is one time for you to be politically correct, and everybody's like, see, he's just as full of shit as everybody, or see, he's part of the same system as everybody else. But number two, it's kind of what you alluded to. If, if you're saying, I'm too good for Cle- the Cleveland Browns, you better damn well play like it. Because if you come to the NFL and you act like you walk in, like your shit doesn't stink, and all of a sudden you put up a Jared Goff 2016 season, come on, dude. You but, know damn well. Everybody point? would pile on him. Isn't that his exact point? Going into the wrong system and playing like Jared Goff in the wrong system, his, his 2016, that's his very point right there, why he wants to but take his, control of his destiny. Because if he goes, so, if he goes into hey. the NFL and he goes into the right system, then he has a higher probability of playing good enough to say, I well, want to go there. <laughs> that probability better be 100%. Because if he goes to the right situation <laughs> and it doesn't work, no. That's, then, then you got no outs. If you're Deshaun <laughs> Kaiser and you go to the Cleveland Browns, you, you can, if you're Jared Goff and you go to the 2016 Rams, you get to say, hey, look at what's around me. This wasn't a perfect situation. When, when you're Josh Rosen, if you come out and say that, if you're Eli Manning and you go to the New York Giants, you've got to make it work. Because if you don't, there's no excuse. There's none. That being said, really, there I are – I will say this really yeah, quick. That? Really quick. I will say this. As long as Hugh Jackson does not get fired, <laughs> I think he should con- he should con- you know how the Browns are with their coaches. You get only a year and a half. <laughs> but as long as Hugh Jackson does not get fired, I think he should consider the Browns because I do think Hugh Jackson is a good quarterback coach. But with that being He's said, take coach. the floor, sir. It'd be, it makes things interesting for the draft, that's for damn sure. In terms of bowl games, look, it's been early bowl season. I think the, the, they need to figure out, to me, they need to figure out a way to do bowl season. And they kind of split it up pretty much around Christmas this year where we need to have a marker to say these bowls are for fun, you know, kind of what we had earlier today where you had Duke against Northern Illinois. I caught some of that game. I'm sure very few people did. Or Christmas Eve, Fresno State against Houston. You had a couple games the day before, Appalachian State against Toledo, Army against San Diego State. Those games are fun. And if you're a fan of those teams and you had a good season, you want to be able to celebrate that season with a bowl game. But from an NFL perspective, 
Ain't nobody give a damn about those. Ain't nobody give a damn about the Donald General Bowl. Or come on, man, what was that one? The Cherubundi Tart Cherry Boca Raton. But ain't nobody give a damn about the Cherubundi <laughs> Tart Cherry Boca Raton. Nobody gives a damn, which is fine. You you can still have that for those fans and that kind of a situation and say, look, let's have a bowl game. Let's have some fun. Let's go to the Bahamas. Everybody eat some Popeyes. Everybody gonna be happy. That's a good situation. But oh. we need to have a marker to say, okay. Now, tomorrow, we've got Texas, Missouri, you know, or later this week, you got Stanford, TCU, you got Virginia Tech, Oklahoma State, Washington State, Michigan. It's it's time to pay attention. Uh, I just wish we had kind of a a hard line, not a soft line, a hard line to let everybody know, no, okay, now it's actually bowl season and NFL fans need to pay attention. And that's kind of what starts today. Yeah, I I think uh, it starts today, but I think it really kicks off full steam ahead tomorrow, you know, with that Missouri-Texas game, which I think is going to be a good game. And, you know, from there, you get you get yourself a good game a day from that point on until you get to the playoffs. So, it's going to be interesting. We got we got we got some football going. <laughs> we got we got plenty of football depending on – don't even matter which level it is, college or NFL, we got quality games coming. But, Joe, you got anything before we get out of here? No, I would say keep an eye on the bowl games because we got some time. Uh, keep an eye on what happens in between now and uh, the game on Sunday in terms of what McVay and the coaching staff plays and how to, it's going to be an interesting parallel between the the impetus of the college game. I mean, you just had signing day. We didn't even talk about that. I know we're not a college football blog, but you had a new signing day process this year that had a lot of early yep. signings going on in this early period and kind of changed the dynamic, especially for some of these smaller programs. You had some really big classes out which, of Which um, reminds me really quickly. You just reminded me really quickly. I have to give a shout-out to little Ronnie Bell. This was uh, a kid who I watched blow me away with his athleticism when I was in college, you know, he was about nine, ten years old at the time. And uh, he was one of the coaches' son. He was a wide receiver's coach's son. And uh, the kid was just really athletic. Like, I remember being in practice, and we'll be on one end of the field, we'll look back, and this kid is standing on the goalpost. Like, climbed up, (laughs) wiggled up, and standing up there, you know, just a freak athlete. Well, he went on to be the best wide receiver in the city of Kansas City, had like 24 receiving touchdowns or something like that, something ridiculous. And uh, he just got offered a full ride to Michigan, and he accepted it. He was also a star basketball player. He originally accepted an a, a offer for basketball, but then he Michigan came calling for football, and he pulled out quick. So <laughs> shout out to Ronnie. Good job, Ronnie. It's nice to see a kid grow up and just be everything that he wanted to be. That 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 was pretty pretty impressive to see how he uh finished out his high school career. So shout out to Ronnie Bell out there. Good luck on the personal front. See that's a good story. That's a good anecdotal stuff. I ain't got no anecdotes. I like all these kids in the DC area. <laughs> they can all play. I like all them prospects out of Texas. They can all ball. They, they Every they single one of them. <laughs> that's right. Every single good. one of them good. You know, else, you know who else going good? <laughs> The Rams, baby. <laughs> Rams in the playoffs. There you go. Make sure that you follow. Make sure you uh, follow the site. Watch the game this weekend. Rams, 49ers, rivalry game. Always going to be good. We're just hoping for some uh, starters to get out there to make it even better. But make sure you watch it either way. Going to be a good tune-up for the playoffs. Follow the site at Turf Show Times. Follow myself at Mighty or Myson. And then make sure you follow Joe at 3K underscore. That's all we got this week. We out.
bad Jackie and I'm starting this off. The Rams get down so nobody scoffs. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to Jackson. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty, but we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the L.A. Rams. Hollywood Hanson, Dodge City Tough. If you throw it my way, it's going to get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Dita. Nobody dresses Twitter. But under this cool is a quarterback retreater. I come from the end, looking for the sack. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. This limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc, and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night. Einhorn is Ficken. Ficken is Einhorn. Einhorn is a man. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. (laughs) 